This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. I'm not sure what's going on with the sound right now. Like, I have my good mic. I'm set up in my house like I always am. But there seems to be a church service going on outdoors near my apartment. It's loud as hell to me. But the mic, I've tested it three times, isn't picking up the noise. Like, there's a minister and then there's music and there's people like clapping and singing really loud but apparently my microphone is not picking it up i don't know how this is possible the mic seems to have just isolated my voice now i know what you're thinking why are you recording if there's all this going on outside your house well because i've been waiting all day for it to stop and it's currently 5:55, and i have things to do tonight And I have to record this and edit this, which is a whole five to six hour process minimum so I can actually go out tonight. So this is like the latest. When I talk about going out tonight, I mean like 1 a.m. I have waited the absolute latest that I possibly can. Two things. One is holiday season everywhere. Ghana is a... I'm going to say hyper-religious because that has a negative connotation. It is a very religious country. They do church all day, every day, and don't think no ways about it. No ways about how loud it is. Like, they will praise God from literally sun up to past sundown. Like, it's a way of life. It's like old Southern time revival, except like it's every day. And it's super heightened during the Christmas season. Because, you know, Jesus' birthday and all that. They like very religious at this time of year, during the day. The good church folks remain religious, you know, sun up or sun down. Um, other folks just attend church on Sundays and New Year's Eve. Those folks, once the sun goes down, you know, 8 o'clock, they still very religious. But somewhere around 1, 2 a.m. when the clubs get popping, you know, they have other interests. They don't leave God. They just, you know, pick up additional interests, if you understand what I'm saying. So there's this huge, like, church function going on across the street. Half of it's in tree. The music is in English, but the minister's going back and forth between tree and English. I don't speak tree. The only word I actually know is thank you. I can pick up on some other stuff with context clues, which I remember somebody was like, why have you not picked up more language? Because as soon as they see me, they speak English to me. Like in France, people just speak to me and I would pick up stuff. But here, you can look at me and tell I'm not from here. The majority of the population does speak very fluent English. So they just speak to me in English. So I don't pick it up. I could take classes. That would require me to stay in the same place for more than, you know. I still didn't take French classes either. And I was high on my list of things to do. Or swimming lessons. Because I repeat, I don't stay in the same place for any significant amount of time. And having gotten, like, lasered. I was supposed to get all the hair on my body below my eyebrows lasered off. Like, I had grand plans for this. I was at the, um, the skincare clinic the other day. I was getting, like, DPN. You know, it's like those teeny tiny moles that black people get. I had them on my neck and then, like, my cleavage. And I was like, oh, my God, I have old lady moles. But I I had them removed. And I asked my doc, and I was like, so about, like, this hair removal process. And she was like, yeah, you need to come in, like, once every seven months. And I was like, seven months? 
I was like, I'm never in the same place for seven months. I maxed out at six. And she was like, well, if you come for three consecutively, you'll see significant change, but it won't be completely eliminated. And I was like, well, let me get on that. I'll see what I can do. We have good black news this week. Some of it depends on perspective. Okay, this one is actually just purely good. Tiger Woods and his baby girl, his daughter, Sam. I'm reading this on People Magazine. It says the golf pro's 16-year-old daughter served as caddy for her dad over the weekend. She's a beautiful girl. And the reason it's a big deal is for most of us, it's the first time seeing his daughter, maybe since she was a little girl. But she's an absolutely gorgeous girl, and Tiger Woods is super, super proud. There's pictures of them floating all over the internet, and one of them, he has like the proud dad smile. She's completely oblivious to what's going on. He's just looking at her, and his face is filled with so much pride. And she's driving him around like the golf greens. Like, it's, it's really cute. There's also a picture of them. They're standing on the greens, and they're doing this like identical pose. Both of them have their hands on their hips. It's a like father, like daughter moment. It's really cute. And he gave the girl his whole face. Reading this on People is the first time I've seen little brother Charlie was there as well. I ain't heard not one word about Charlie until I'm reading this article. Everything was about Tiger and Sam. Charlie looks a little bit more like his mom. Cute. Tiger's also like looking really good. I don't know how old he is right now, but that midsection is tight. The buns are high. He got some guns going. Like he looks like really fit. Good for him. How old is Tiger? Not that we looking at Tiger. Oh, he's 47. Tiger's still a young man. I thought Tiger Woods was way older than that. I would have thought he was well into his mid-50s. He's been on the golf scene since he was like 15. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, he turns 48 later this month. I'm reading that on Fox Sports. He's just been around so long, I thought he was much, much older, but he's not. But that was a cute little family moment. Tiger and his cubs. Very sweet. Very cute. Today I read is the 38th anniversary of The Color Purple, the movie, not the book, the movie debut, the one with Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah, that one came out in 1985 is what I'm reading. Actually, yesterday, December 18th, I'm recording this on the 19th. I don't remember the first time I saw The Color Purple. I know that I was probably too young to watch the movie when I saw it. My parents used to let me watch anything. I didn't go to the movies to see it, though, because I was really young. I was probably six, but I've seen it 50 million times. I was thinking the other day, someone said this to me a really long time ago, like right after I moved to Ghana and was like bouncing around the continent and I was doing like the Dear Mums on a regular basis and a woman wrote in and she said, your writing is like Nettie writing back home to Seely. I thought that was the most beautiful compliment, but I was thinking about it the other day. I was like working on something and I was like, I wonder how much of an impact seeing the scenes in Africa, specifically this black American woman going to Africa and living and writing back positively about her experiences. Well, most of her experiences, obviously not the colonialism part. But I was like, I wonder if seeing that imagery, seeing that story is like, like I don't know, like originally piqued my interest in wanting to come to Africa. Uh. But the new color purple, so far it's gotten excellent reviews. Like a lot of people who are around my age and a little bit older was like, the color purple is a classic. It doesn't need to be remade. Like I'm only going to see this because Oprah and Fantasia and like, let's see what it's about. But they admit that they went in like without the highest expectations. because They were like, why are we redoing a classic? It just doesn't need to be done. And then they came out like, oh my God, this is amazing. I was sitting at a table last night. It was like 12 women. I think all of us were expats 
expats or from the diaspora. Like a couple of women were gun yen, but were raised outside of Ghana and then came back as adults. There's a screening of the color purple here. It's hosted by a sorority, an American sorority. But the tickets, I want to say, are like 450 CDs, which is around $38, $40, something like that, just to see the movie. And we're all like, hey, like we want to support a good cause. Everybody got to have a fundraiser. Totally get it. But $40 to see a movie is a little ridiculous. Like, come on, sis. Sisses. So we were talking about, apparently Nigeria has an AMC and is guaranteed to get like all of the movies that we're sort of that we're still scrambling to find. Renaissance being one of them. We're going to talk about Beyonce's Middle of the Night, at least for America, drop for Renaissance in a second. But the Nigerian theaters and Nigeria is like right there. But we were like, look, it's four big movies. Like we want to see Napoleon, which actually is at the theater in Ghana. I still haven't seen it, although I've been talking about it forever. Maybe tomorrow. Napoleon, American Fiction, Renaissance, and The Color Purple. That's like a lot of big film to be missing. So we were like, is it completely unreasonable to take like a, a weekend trip? Let's say like Friday to Monday. It doesn't even have to be Lagos. It could be Abuja. But like, is it completely ridiculous to fly to Nigeria and watch American movies? We decided no. But I was like, something has to give. A bootleg or something. I'll buy a ticket to an American theater to support the film and then watch it on bootleg. Like, I'm not trying to be cheap. Like, I respect the art. I'm trying to access the art, like, by any means possible. The middle of the night American time, I still think in terms of Eastern Standard Time, only because if I need to call home, I'm not trying to, like, wake up people in the middle of the night. Or if I'm posting something on Instagram, like, I would like people to actually see it. If I post it at 9 a.m. my time, it's 4 a.m. Nobody's up. Actually, that's not true because I posted stuff before in the middle of the night and then there's like a whole bunch of people commenting and I'm like, go to bed. Y'all got nine to fives. Go to bed. But maybe like four or five a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Beyonce dropped a breaking news announcement. Like, I mean, she had the breaking news ticker like it was CNN or some such announcing Renaissance. And when I was first watching it, I got super excited because it was like the Renaissance continues. And then it ran off like this list. Wait, I'm looking at the post right now. Brazil, Italy, Thailand, Spain, Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Mongolia. I was like, oh my God, is she going back on tour? She's going to do like Asia and South America because sis did say world tour. But she did like Europe and then she did America, which is like, you know, you've done two continents. Are you going to see the rest of them? Particularly the African one. I happened to be living in Europe when she did the Europe portion. So I just popped over from London, went to Paris. All was right in the world for me. But I was like, for the people on the continent who can't just pop around like that, like they're not just handing out visas very freely. The same way that, you know, we can access almost anything in the U.S., like you just apply for the visa and you pay for it. And then like you just know you're going to get in. That's not quite how it works for citizens of Ghana. So for the people that couldn't make it to the U.S. or, or to Europe, I was like, we too on the continent would like to see Renaissance perhaps again for some of us. But like bring Renaissance here. So I thought she was actually going to go on tour. But no, it turns out that Beyonce is dropping renaissance the film in the countries that i just mentioned and i was like hey sis hey like i'm really happy for all of those countries like congratulations not vesta voice real congratulations right but what about africa like as in the whole continent i know for sure because we just talked about it nigeria has renaissance south africa has renaissance 
Kenya has a renaissance. I think Tanzania has it. I was in the comments under Beyonce's post advocating for more countries in Africa to get it. I think I've read that there are eight countries in Africa that are able to view renaissance. But there's 54 countries in Africa. Like that's roughly, I don't know, 82, 83% of the continent ain't seen no renaissance. Not in person, not in film. And I was like, how hard is it to distribute the film? Like, what do we need to do? How, how can this get done? How, how can I help? What can, we, what can be done? We want to see Beyonce too. Don't leave us out. <laughs> I think she has something else up her sleeve though. It would not surprise me if she did like a more thorough world tour. Maybe releasing the film in the countries that she mentioned like maybe it's a precursor to her actually going there. Like they're going to see like how sales do and what the interest is. And if, you know, people respond to the film well, if she'll go on tour there. Which again, I'm like all the more reason. Release it in Africa. Come see about us in Africa. In fairness, Beyonce has performed in Africa before. She did Global Citizen for South Africa. I don't know what year that was, but I remember like the black and white. It's not like she's never been on the continent. I'm just like, you know, come back. That's all I'm saying. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. What else do we have? Remember I was like, the news depends on how you feel about it. Let's see. We're going to talk about Jonathan Majors, obviously. We're just not going to talk about him yet. Can we talk about Christian Keys? First and foremost, I mean, this is not the most important thing. We're going to talk about what he said, which is the most important thing. I wasn't really familiar with Christian Keys. I recognized his face as like, oh, he's an actor, but I've never, to my knowledge, watched something that he's been a prominent role in. I saw his face everywhere. He did this Instagram video where he talked about being sexually harassed in the industry. And I saw clips of the video. I saw pictures of him accompanying the article, speaking about his experience. And I was like, God, it's so hard to be young in the industry. I thought Christian Keys was like a young man in his 20s in, in like his mid-20s at that not even like 20s pushing 30s like I was like oh he's a young man and that's so terrible that these things happen I totally believe everything he's saying and I think even more so after I read about him and realized he was 48 I was like I'm sorry excuse me that man is 40 and 8 years old one two three four decades plus eight the man is pushing 50 and I was like so in addition to telling us about your experiences in the industry, and I would like him to name who the people are just so we could, you know, beware of predators. I don't name the guy in the industry who assaulted me um, for various reasons. Mostly I don't want the headache that comes from it. Christian Keys is talking about he was sexually harassed by 
high profile, powerful, well-known people. One of them, he said, is a billionaire. He may or may not want the smoke. Like you saw what folks did to Cassie, but other people who have come forward. Those cases were talking about heterosexual harassment. I don't know that a man accusing another man of same-sex harassment is going to fare any better and possibly it might be worse. Because now you're saying that not only is someone harassing you, but also that someone that people may not have known is on the sexuality spectrum. Folks got a hard time with like assault, harassment, and sex just in general. Then you add in some like non-heterosexuality, but people just don't know what to do. So if he shares no more than what he shared already, that's fine. And if he chooses to share more, that's fine too. Like it's his life, it's his experience. How he chooses to handle that is a decision that is solely, totally, and completely up to him. Whatever he chooses to share or not, I totally support him. And I'm going to come back to that. Can he share his um, his anti-aging secrets? Like, are you vegan? Are you? Is there a cream that, you, that you're putting on your face? Are you just drinking a lot of water? Like, I just want to know, like, what the secret is. That man looks wonderful. I literally thought that man was in his mid-20s. I thought he was a fresh face that had come on the scene. And then until I was reading articles about what he said, and I was like, one, how am I not familiar with him? I had no idea that the show that he's on, I guess the most popular show, All the Queen's Men with Eva, that is based on a book that he wrote, had no clue. I just missed the whole thing. I've also never actually watched that show. And it kind of seems like it might be my fair too, like a madam. Is she a madam named Madam? That's my kind of foolishness and carrying on. I just never taken the time to watch it. That's my bad. I'll take it. But yeah, he made some really, what's the word I want to use? Some allegations. And again, he didn't name names. I'm reading this on Bossip, and I'll tell you why. Christian Keys is known amongst black folk, even though he's had parts in bigger projects. He's not white famous. And so when I Googled his name, looking for news stories about him from, you know, quote unquote, legitimate sites, Bossip is a gossip site, right? None of the big publications other than the room I didn't feel like they went into the story very thoroughly but they didn't cover the story at all like I only saw it on like very staunchly black publications like I didn't see it on essence and that may just be like my google search I mean I have my vpn on so it's set to new york but I didn't see any conversation about him on bigger sites but I'm reading this on Bossip, and it says Christian Keys broke his silence about years of alleged sexual harassment from a powerful billionaire in Hollywood. It ain't but so many black billionaires and only but so many in Hollywood. Like the only one that comes to mind is, for obvious reasons, Tyler Perry. That said, I don't think he ever said what the race of the billionaire was. He just said billionaire. Like he could be talking about white folks. But he said a powerful billionaire in Hollywood tried to climb into bed with him and offered him $100,000 to strip. I think that's the person he said, because it was an hour long. I didn't watch the whole thing. I just read a bunch of recaps. I think the $100,000 person, he said somebody showed up at his door, at, like, at, his, at his house, like came to his house and offered him $100,000. It says here to strip. But somebody offering you $100,000, they're not trying to just see your ass. They're trying to get in it. Christian said in the video, quote, if you thought that Diddy shit was crazy, you don't even know. He also says he has recordings of the misconduct. He said he's been carrying since 2005 a keychain recorder or a pen. He said once the sexual harassment started, 
I was like, I need to protect me. I'm saying no, and I don't want this person, as powerful as they are, to try to get in the way of my work. So I started recording. Despite that, he says it has gotten in the way of his work. He said the choice not to sell my soul or sell my ass for success has cost him. And he says he's resigned to taking the scenic route in his career, i.e. it's going to take him a little longer to get to where he wants to be professionally because he's chosen not to fuck men in the industry. He did say that although he chose not to make the revelations in his in his video on social media, he says he does intend to take it further and would like to go to the police. But I do think he's going to say more because I'm reading further down in the article. I see this other quote that he gave. He said, quote, I want to tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Tell me you were raised in a church without telling me you raised in a church. He says the good news is people don't even have to believe me. Hopefully they do. But if they don't, they can hear this person. He's referring to the recordings. And he said, I really want to air this shit out because it bothers me when I'm home alone at night. The world is celebrating this person and they don't even know the shady and predatory way this person moves. He also said he would take multiple polygraph tests to prove he was telling the truth. Bruh, just save your money, save your time. We don't care. Because Russell Simmons was like, I took nine polygraphs. We still don't believe his ass. Just, it's fine. We believe you. You good. Especially if you got shit on tape. If you got some shit on tape, you want to play it for us. You good. You ain't got to do all the polygraphs and whatnot. Let me see. Was there anything else? I mean, he did speak for an hour. I'm sure there's more. Hold on. The same man that asked him to strip, he says the man offered to buy him a car as an apology. He also says he's braced himself to be painted as the villain after years of reported abuse, intimidation, and harassment because this person is deified. He's talking about another incident. I think he's still talking about the same person. He says he was sleeping off a night of drinking after an event in this person's home. He said the man tried to climb in bed with him and blamed it on the alcohol. Christian said he tried to forgive him and leave with a handshake. He says the man grabbed his penis instead of his hand. He said he's telling this story. He said it's not about the money. He said he intentionally let the statute of limitations expire. He said Cassie coming forward about Diddy inspired him to do the same. And he says, I'm mad at myself for not being brave enough to say something sooner. That's the only thing I regret. Nothing he says sounds too far-fetched to me. I don't put shit past anybody. What else do we have on this list? Oh, The Gilded Age. I watched it the other night. I was trying to stay up till 2 a.m. Because that's when it comes on for me. Not that I was going to live tweet it. But I just didn't want any spoilers. I made it to like 1130 and I was tapped out. I watched it when I got up on Monday morning. And watched it three times in a row. I had ish to do on Monday too. And I was like, yeah, let me play with my schedule a little bit. And then I had to listen to the podcast. And then I had to watch the show again. And then when I was getting my makeup done later that day, I had it one to listen to. I like to listen to the dialogue, writer shit. It was so, so, so good. This whole season has been pretty amazing. I wrote a full and proper review. All of it wouldn't fit on my Instagram page. You know, there's a word count. I had to cut it down by like 75% because I had so many thoughts. Mrs. Russell, I'm about to give you spoilers. You might want to fast forward ahead if you're waiting for my thoughts on Jonathan Majors. I'm going to give a spoiler like now. We're starting with like major spoilers. Go now. I'll wait.
Mrs. Russell selling Gladys? She's no longer my favorite. I was like, ma'am, you're no better than the father in black cake. How dare you? And over something so petty as trying to get somebody to come to your event. I understand it's a big event. I understand that you're jockeying for social supremacy. This has very deep meaning to you. Like it's, it's gotten to the point that you define yourself by where you fit in society. Like I get it. Women don't have a lot of rights. You don't have a lot of autonomy. Like the social scene is like the one place that you have like power, prestige, positioning. But to sell your daughter, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. And the crazy other part of it, right? The event was a success whether the Duke was there or not. You actually had people in the room. So even if the Duke went to the other event and the other event is half empty, everyone would be like, well, why he over there? Because the party was over here. That's where everybody was. Nobody's going to walk into the brand new fancy building for a first time, which is a marvel of technology. Like, does the old opera house even have light? Because when it was built, light didn't exist. You got the new fancy building. You got the biggest opera singers on the planet. You got a packed house. You was good. You didn't have to sell Gladys. And I understand it's not just about like the Duke attending the event. It's also about her daughter marrying a Duke. And that just makes her queen supreme. She would be the mother of a duchess. I was like, you was good. You ain't have to do all that. But she went ahead and sold Gladys. And she gonna fuck up her marriage too. Because Mr. Russell ain't going for that. Remember Gladys was trying to marry the other boy she was really into? She had a big crush on. And Mr. Russell was like, hey, this ain't it. You could do better. And Gladys was all upset. And he was like, I promise you. I promise you. I want you to marry for love. Like when, when it's time, when you find the right person, I got you. He not going to go for her being matched off with this Duke. The Duke is all right looking. He not hard on the eye. He ain't no Larry Russell. I mean, that's her brother. I'm just saying in terms of like, you know, good looking man. You know, he ain't particularly great looking. And he's older. Gladys is like, what, 18, 19, maybe 20. I also read a long time ago, actually, that that's based on, I can't remember the girl's name. She was a Vanderbilt. You know, I'm like into all this Gilded Age stuff. Like I used to go up to Newport and like go see all the houses and do the tours and take a bunch of pictures. It started with the obsession with architecture. And then I got into the stories of the families and stuff. But it's based on one of the Vanderbilt girls. They sold sold because that's what it is they sold their daughter off to a duke and she moved overseas and she was basically miserable the whole time and I was like poor Gladys I really be caring about these people like like they're real people Mrs. Fish she's one of my favorite characters on the show like she don't even have a storyline she's just kind of like a cameo that pops in here and there but always delightful even though she ain't shit she showed up to the old opera house to support Mrs. Astor. She got there and saw nobody was there. She said, this is it? This is everybody? Mrs. Astor was so graceful. She said, well, that makes it all the more important that you're here. She was like, I ain't staying. I'm going across to the other party before it's too late. See you when I see you. Deuces. And rolled out. Then got to the new place. Mrs. Russell was like, oh, Mrs. Fish, I didn't expect you to come. I thought you would be going to the old opera. And so she was like, and did? Shit was a morgue. Came over here to party. What's up? <laughs> I love her. We saw Mrs. Fortune, the publisher, his wife, Mrs. Fortune, and the baby. She didn't have no lines. It was just a glimpse in the background. But it's like, oh. Because, you know, like, they've been talking about Mr. Fortune has been married and has a baby. But we ain't seen the wife. We ain't seen the baby. And we were like, well, you know, maybe folks got it wrong. Maybe he's not married. Maybe there's, like, a separation. I'm acting like it's 2023 instead of the 1880s. 
And even if they were separated, like that man ain't have a young baby. Oh, I really like Mr. Fortune and Peggy. I really do. They have excellent chemistry, but it cannot be. And he was looking so good this episode. I don't know if they put some extra makeup on him or he like, I don't know, lost some weight, gained some weight, been working out. He looked really, really like extra good this episode. Like he always looks nice, but like super fucking fabulous this episode. And I was just like, I can't, I can't root for it. I just, it's not right. He is a married man and I don't want that for Peggy. You found in him the chemistry that makes you jump. Like, I love that for you. You're going to have to go find it with somebody else, my love. He's not the only man on earth. You're a cute girl. You can go find a, a cute single man who's able to put you first and y'all not running around in sin. Oh, Peggy. I really like them together. I really did. After I saw the wife and the baby, I was like, this is not right, Demetri. You can't root for this. Not even on TV. It's not right. I rooted for it in Scandal. That's because I ain't like Fix's wife. That's a whole different thing. I'm not going down that road. The footman, I can't remember his name for nothing. And his alarm clock, I imagine when Gilded Age when I'm, I'm speaking it into existence because it has not been picked up by HBO at this time. When season three of Gilded Age comes, I'm imagining they're going to fast forward some, just like they did for season two. I imagine the footman is going to come back as a multimillionaire. Him and his clock and then Larry Russell being like, I looked into it. I think we should go into business together. That's a good business partner for you. You're going to get good distro with him. Like until we had, everybody got an alarm clock. Everybody. It's a necessity. I really don't know how people were waking up without one before. Like, did you have a rooster? Like, I don't understand how it worked. Larry Russell and Blondie are finally together. I have wanted them to be together since the first time I saw them on screen together. They have nice, easy chemistry. I think Larry Russell is just a very nice young man. I think Blondie is a very nice young woman. They're nice. They're simple. They're easy. They've had their dalliances like Larry with the older woman and then Blondie. Like first season, Mr. Rakes, who was a rake. Did we see him at all this season? We didn't need to. He married some socialite, so he got what he wanted. And then, like, being married to, like, the cousin fiancé, cousin Dashiell. They both had a little experience with love and relationships and a little bit of heartache, but not too much that's left them damaged, just more cautious, and I think more also appreciative when a good person comes along. Like, I really want them to work. I thought they were so cute together from season one. They made us wait for the payoff, but when Larry kissed Blondie, I screamed. I literally clutched my hands together and then to my chest. I was so excited. I wrote on here, Mr. McAllister ain't shit. He really isn't. We knew the whole time that he was playing back and forth between Mrs. Russell and Mrs. Astor. And there had been kind of a truce of sorts between Mrs. Russell and Mrs. Astor. Mrs. Russell knew that he was still in alliance with Mrs. Astor. But she didn't think that he would totally screw her over. Like she genuinely thought that he was a friend. And then he came to her and made it very clear that he's like, you know, that he's backing Mrs. Astor. He was like, you knew we were friends. And he was like, you also know that like, you know, my public persona is being her friend. So basically, what did you expect? And she was like, I expected more than this. And he was like, hey, like, you know, you had these expectations. You're trying to play this game. But sweetie, he was very condescending with her. And he was like, I've been at this a little longer than you. Oh, have you? Getting the Duke was about so much more than just the event. Like I said, that she's like, you know, jockeying for social supremacy. But I also think she just wanted to win in several different ways. Like she wanted to prove it to Mrs. Astor. She wanted to prove it to society. But I also think that conversation with Mr. McAllister, where he's like, you know, he talks to her like she's stupid. I think she wants to prove him wrong as well. 
Oh, also down in black world, white folks is scheming. White folks be scheming now. I don't expect them to behave any different or better in the 1880s. But they're trying to close the black schools. And of course, they're like, well, we're closing the black schools and these are the reasons. So, of course, black people being black people, they're like, okay, they gave us these reasons. And we're going to like list in detail why these reasons don't work. Let us jump through hoops to make it work. And then white folks like change the date of the meeting because they ain't trying to hear that shit. And then on GP, they're like, okay, fine, you made a point. So we're only going to close one school because like we just have to be right about something. One of my favorite quotes, Toni Morrison, she talks about the function of racism is, is to be a distraction. So you were over here like minding your business and then someone does something, you know, like racist and stupid or whatever. So you direct all your energy to like prove them wrong or address whatever thing that they're saying or doing. And it distracts you from focusing on like the shit you were doing before, before white people came along with their racism, their distraction. They're like, two schools are better than none. I'm like, technically, yes. But like, the three schools that already existed, that they were like, we have more students than we know what to do with. What y'all gonna do with them kids? I'm scrolling. Oh, the costume design. That's all I ever talk about on this show. Marion, when she came out for the opera and she had on that yellow with the feather in her hair and those beautiful sleeves. I think that's tulle. I don't really know fabrics like that. Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Mrs. Russell coming down the steps in her like pistachio, her green, fabulous. Baby girl Russell, Gladys, poor Gladys. Gladys looked beautiful in her lavender. That's the best Gladys has ever looked this entire show. And she's not a bad looking girl. She just had really frizzy hair the first season. It was poorly styled. Once she came out and they let her put on her hats and put her hair up and things, fabulous. Man was dripping in diamonds and pearls. Lovely, absolutely lovely. Also want to give an honorable mention to Mrs. Fang when she walked into the opera in that blue and white. I gasped. Her gown was amazing. Amazing. Also, old May, the woman Mrs. Russell described, she said last year she was pressing her underwear. The old May, who's now married to the old man who's rich, she had a she had a beautiful gown that had these roses all over. It was like 3D roses. Fabulous. Fabulous. The costume design raised. I love this show. I love this show like I used to love Scandal. Like I I live for this show. I'm going through my notes to see if there's anything else. I'm mad at Mrs. Russell right now and I'm probably going to stay mad at Mrs. Russell because what she's done to Gladys is horrific. That said, before we realized what she had done to get the Duke there, when he walked in and greeted her and the whole audience turned around and then the audience burst into applause... I got like a little emotional. I was very, very happy for her. My thing with Mrs. Russell, why I used to root for her was because all she wanted to do was belong. That's it. She had the money. Her husband had the clout. She had the house. She had the wardrobe. And they were just so mean and nasty to her about whether she could sit at their table. And so she was like, you know, what do people say all the time? They won't let you sit at their table. Go build your own. That's actually Tyler Perry, because the usual quote was, you need to make room at the table for other people. Tyler Perry was like, fuck your table. Build your own table. She built her own table. I mean, her own opera house, essentially. And then when she had the opportunity, when Mrs. Astor finally came to her, when she realized Mrs. Russell was a real threat, she was like, okay, like, we figured it out. Like, you can, you know, finally, after all this time, after we made you beg and scrap for it, you can have a box in our house. Like, you won't get center because that's mine. 
I'll still be that chick, but you could be part of the circle. And Mrs. Russell contemplated it. Her husband had to tell her, like, no, you're a threat and you got your own shit. Like, do you want to be Mrs. Astor's number two or do you want to be number one? I don't think he knew she was going to go as far as she did, but like, I was happy for her. I feel like everybody knows what it feels like to want to belong and then people block you out and then get mad at you when you do your own thing. And then they be like, why don't this bitch fuck with us? Because now that I've seen it up close, y'all really not that hot and I could do better. And Mrs. Russell did. Oh, that's a metaphor for so many things. Oh, last but not least, shout out to the rector. Aunt Ada's short-lived husband, may he rest in peace because he took care of old girl. He took real good care of our Ada. They was about to be destitute. They were going to have to move downtown, get rid of all the staff. Aunt Ada was like, I'm going to have to dress. What did she say? She said, I must find some loose Arab clothing if I am to put it on without a maid. <laughs> that woman lost all her money, but ain't found a drop of humility. Sorrows, prayers. But the rector came through. He took care of his Ada. He wasn't there for a long time, but he was there for a good time. He took care of his wife, as a husband should. Apparently, they're like stupid, dumb, rich, like rich, bitch, like Dave Chappelle type rich. I think she has more money now than Sister Agnes had the whole time. I hope Ada treat Agnes exactly like Agnes treated her. Kept her under thumb, talk crazy to her, do that same shit to broke ass Agnes now. How you gonna be haughty and broke, ma'am? I'm paying for your life. Just like you used to remind me, I'm gonna remind you. Ada seemed too sweet for that, but now she got money and power. We about to find out. I saw that coming too. I knew somebody was going to get some money from somewhere. I thought if it wasn't Aunt Ada, then Cousin Dashiell would have infused them with some money. To my knowledge, he never even offered. He offered to pay for the wedding, but he didn't offer to help the house at all. To at least try to keep them in the house, give them a little infusion so they had time to figure out something. Maybe give Oscar a little money to play with and see if he can flip it and make it into something. Like, mm-mm, he didn't offer at all. I was like, if he doesn't come in with the cash, then I was like, the rector had a little something. I didn't know he was going to have all that he had because Aunt Ada was like, it's more money than we can spend. She didn't give a number, but the rector came through. And Aunt Agnes, her face was cracked. She tried to tell Bannister, one of the, one of the staff, she tried to tell him what to do and he went and checked with Aunt Ada and he was like, is that what you would like, ma'am? And she was like, actually, yes, I, I would. Aunt Ada was like, things may be different in the future, Agnes. When we come back, because we're coming back, there's no way this isn't getting a season three. HBO would have to be crazy not to give this show a season three. I expect to see Aunt Ada sitting at the head of the table. It might be Agnes's house, but it's Ada's money keeping them in it. I love that. She married for love, had no idea that man had all that money. May the rector rest in peace. We need to talk about Jonathan Majors found guilty, which, which I told you I was out at a dinner last night. I had my phone on the table, but it was turned over. I wasn't trying to be rude to my guests. And I turned it over for something. I checked Instagram real quick and my entire feed was like Jonathan Majors guilty. And I had to announce it to the table. And I was like, oh my God. They were like, what? And I was like, Jonathan Majors is guilty. Everybody was like, What? I ain't seen people react like that since OJ. No one thought he was going to be found guilty. Not after the last video of him running down the street. And I think I said as much in the last episode. And I was like, you know, based on the information that I am aware of that is available to the public. Obviously, there are things that the jury saw and heard that the public is not privy to. I mean, clearly. 
I didn't think that he was going to be found guilty. Do I believe that he had been beating this woman's ass? Absolutely. Based on what I saw, I didn't think that it was proven in this specific case that he had beat on her. I mean, although there is the matter of like her finger was messed up, which is one of the things that he was found guilty over. And she has this like gash behind her ear. It came from somewhere. Unless the belief is she did it to herself, then the belief is he did it. I guess that's why they went with guilty. Other people have pointed out and they were like, well, he's a black man in America and he was fucking with this white chick. Like, what did you expect to happen? And I was like, I mean, true. But also I think... More than anything, it was those old text messages that had previously been ruled inadmissible, but because of his lawyer's line of questioning were allowed. The ones that we read where he was like trying to get her not to go to the hospital when she had what sounded like a concussion, and then he threatens to kill himself. But I think those texts, in addition to this scenario, made the jury think, and this is also complete speculation, I'm thinking that that's what swayed the jury to be like, okay, like clearly in this instance with the head injury, he beat that chick. And if he did it then, which I think was six months before what he's currently on trial for, then I think the logic was, well, yeah, if he did it then, then he probably did it this time again. I don't feel bad for him at all. While I don't think it was like cut clear proven, again, based on the information that I was privy to, that he did it in this instance. Because really, the video of him like literally running down the street. I mean, that video, because it was pieced together, it looked like they ran for blocks. Like something happened in the car, which the, ta which the driver was like, I was looking straight ahead, but it sounded like the woman was the aggressor. There's video of him getting out of the car, her trying to come after him, and then him kind of like jacking her up. Like literally, he picks her up and like sets her back in the car and she's trying to get out and he does it a couple times. And then he takes off running. But I thought that he tried to flee the situation. And then she goes running after him. I thought that alone would have gotten him off. I really did. Also, why was she chasing him? I never got to the bottom of that. Like, did she explain, like, why she ran after him like that? Like, did he take her phone? Or was this like, this was my theory. Because it didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, is this like an Ike and Tina situation where like you beat on this woman and then this is the time that she decides like enough is enough and she decides to fight back? Because I did see pictures and this is even after the trial. I didn't see any of this when it was actually ongoing. I just saw him earlier today. There are pictures where he has like a scar in his like jawline. You can see it in his beard. It looks like she scratched him. And then there's like a scratch on his arm. It's nothing severe. It's some shit that'll heal in three days. But I don't think she like ruptured the skin like there was no blood drawn on the one on his arm but I was like is this the time she decided to like fight back like the story is she's in the car she's leaning on his shoulder he's on his phone and this message from Cleopatra pops up saying like I wish I was kissing you you with this dude who to me is clearly beating your ass has these crazy outbursts where he's like I want you to act like Coretta Scott King who was the other person? Michelle Obama. This is how he's chastising her for coming home drunk. I'm like, is coming home drunk a crime? Like, she was out with her girlfriend. She got a little tipsy. She came home. Like, what's the problem? 
But then he's like, you know, chastising her. And the way he was speaking to her, if you listen to the audio, it's so damn condescending and demeaning and rude. But I'm like, you sitting up with this dude who's beating on you. You're protecting his ass. The man is threatening to kill himself. Like, there's like a whole bunch of emotional, psychological, physical abuse. Like, this relationship is a fucking mess. For whatever reason, you're staying with this dude. And then, like, y'all are going wherever you're headed for a night out. And then this message pops up on his phone. And this mofo is cheating on me. Maybe she did try to beat his ass that night. I mean, if that's what happened, like, would it be right? No. Do I understand? It's not really clear to me what happened. But it was clear to a jury because they convicted his ass. Two counts found guilty. Marvel, who'd been holding out on him, he was the next big face of the franchise. They invested a lot of money in this man. Kang the Conqueror was supposed to be huge. They might still go ahead with Kang, but it ain't going to be with Jonathan Majors. They promptly, Disney and Marvel, promptly dropped his ass. Like, within a couple hours of the verdict being read. It was like, enough is enough. We're done. Good day. So that's that. Folks have been talking about, like, well, what happens to his career? I don't care. He was a good actor. Let's not pretend he wasn't. There's many of them. I've lived in LA and New York. Literally, the cities are packed. Packed with great actors. He ain't the first. He won't be the last. They'll replace him. He'll be all right. Like, what'll happen to him? I don't know. Nor do I really care. I genuinely believe he was beating that lady's ass. You're paying the consequences for that. Hope you don't beat on nobody else. Hope you go and get the help that you need. Like, one, so you're not beating on people. And two, like, so you're not, like, you know, being an emotional terrorist threatening to kill yourself to convince people to protect your secrets. Like, he got some issues. He got some real serious, like, issues. He's a sick person. Megan Good? Girl. 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 She ain't leaving. I know this and you know this. She ain't leaving. But I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing, sis? What are you doing? I've been saying, what are you doing from from her soft launching a relationship with a man who's on trial for assaulting the woman who came before her? Which I genuinely think she was the side chick to. But I was like, this this is what you want? I said in a previous episode, I was like, if you gonna do this level of drama, like you could have just stayed with the pastor. Somebody was like, D, that was harsh. That's way harsh. Way harsh, Ty. Which I actually like Megan Good. So I don't want to say things that are perceived as harsh about her. Megan, you could do way better, sis. Know your worth. Don't waste your pretty. You could do way better than this. Go do it. He hasn't been sentenced yet. He was facing up to a year in jail. I don't think he'll go to jail. But also, I didn't think he'd be found guilty. You really want to be with a dude who's found guilty of, like, assaulting his ex? Like, really, Meg? I want more for you. But more importantly, I want you to want more for you, sis. I don't know what happened with the ex to lead you to believe that, like, this was the right choice. Her choosing Jonathan Majors after the ex, that actually kind of tells me either how toxic that relationship was or how unhealed she is from the divorce. Because nobody who thinks really highly of themselves chooses this. And I say that as someone who has struggled to think highly of themselves. My fucked upness recognizes her fucked upness. I want better for us. That's the episode. I wanted to do Bob and Sheila. I swear on Friday's episode, if we don't talk about nothing else, we're going to talk about Bob and Sheila. Friday is 400, by the way. One of my friends sent me this really great note about the 400th episode. I'll wait to read it. No, I'll tell you now. Because it really hit me in the heart. And she said, um, 
Your dedication to producing 400 episodes is truly inspiring, reminding us all that consistency leads to remarkable achievements. I done started and stopped a whole lot of projects. Everything that you try to do, you're not going to be good at, and that's okay. I think it's okay to try things, and I also think it's okay to recognize, like, this ain't it, and then pivot and try something else. This little podcast was supposed to be like a 90-day adventure in 2019, and four years later, I'm still at it. This little thing that was supposed to be temporary completely changed my life. I wouldn't be able to live how I live, move how I move, spend how I spend, if it was not for the podcast. Like one of my friends, <laughs> associates, we went to a party and she got really, really drunk. And she was like, what exactly do you do? I was like, what do you mean? Like I do the podcast. And she was like, no, like, what do you do? Like, I mean, like, okay, the podcast is like a thing, but like, what do you do? And I was like, I do the podcast. And she was like, no, but like you like live and you travel and you like do all this stuff or whatever. Like, I know it costs like a bunch of money. Like how? And I was like, I do the podcast. And she was like, the podcast pays that much? Like, it takes care of, like, everything? And I was like, yeah. It's kind of popular. I read this statistic once. It was talking about how to establish, like, whether you have, like, a top podcast, right? I want to say it said if your podcast does more than, like, 20,000 streams per episode, you're in the top 5%. And I was like, oh, the podcast did that, like, the first month. It's pretty popular globally. It's got 400 episodes. That's the episode, y'all. We'll talk on Friday. 400! Bye.